I'm Jeff Cohen. It's common for young adults to question their faith, but our next guest, Avraham Byers, began delving into his religious beliefs at the age of six. Raised by a Catholic mom and a Protestant dad, Avraham ultimately found his way to a completely different religious life from the one in which he was raised. And he's here today to share his story. Avraham, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thanks for having me, Jeff. So I'm thinking about the fact that I said age six. I think I was at that age delving into matchbox cars, not my religious beliefs. So you were certainly precocious in that way. I like match cars as well and WWF wrestling figures. All right. So let's take it from the beginning. We like to set context with all of our guests in terms of where you were born and raised so people know where your journey begins. I was raised in Mississauga, Ontario, which is a suburb of Toronto. I'd say it's about 750,000 people live there. So it's a, a big suburb of Toronto. And I said in the introduction, a Catholic mom and a Protestant dad. So it might be worth just sharing kind of how they came together and were there any religious discussions themselves as they thought about starting a family? Basically, they came together. My mother was driving with a bunch of her girlfriends up the highway going to her cottage. And my father was driving with a bunch of his guy friends up to the cottage. And they sort of saw each other on the highway. And the girls decided to follow the guys. And they pulled off into a gas station. The guys did to fill up the tank. And the girls followed. They didn't know what to do. So basically, <laughs> my mother said, you know, I'm not just going to stand here. Walked to my father. said, hey, what's your name? He said, my name's Larry. She says, my name's Marie. Nice to meet you. Where are you going? He said, I'm going to my cottage. She said, I'm going to my cottage as well. And they're both on the same lake, just like a couple of streets away from each other. They had no idea. And next thing you know, they're dating. And so when it came time for them to get married... My mother was raised Catholic, and I think that her family is probably more of a religious family, even though they weren't that religious. And my father was like, hey, let's get married. And they're like, well, she's like, well, I want to get married in a Catholic church. That's sort of my thing. Even though she's not religious, she just felt like that was the right thing for her. And he said, okay, I'm, I'm game with that. And so they went to meet the priest, and the priest said, I'll marry you inside the church as long as you promise that you're going to raise your children Catholic. Like that has to happen. Like that's the one thing. So from there, I went to Catholic school and my journey started. It's interesting that I've interviewed a lot of people where say one parent is Jewish and the other is not. And I'm wondering when you have Protestant and Catholic, is there that interfaith kind of feeling or do you feel like kind of different branches of the same religion and it's, it's not the same issue? Yeah, I didn't even know there's a difference to tell you the truth. I, I think I found out years later, my father wasn't Catholic and it didn't really phase me at all because I wasn't raised at all in a religious house. Like it was a beautiful house to be raised in. It was, there's so much love and warmth in my house, but at the same time, like there wasn't any religiosity at all inside my house. That would have made me think you would be someone who went to public school, but you just said you went to Catholic school. So that's a pretty big religious impression being made on you as a kid. It was because everybody I knew was Catholic and all my basic, you know, religious classes were all according to Catholicism. And yeah, like it was, it was definitely a big influence in my life. And I remember even like as a kid, because I went to quote unquote, a religious school. And I just want to clarify that religious Catholic school is not close at all to religious Jewish school. Like it is very secular, but it has a couple of religious programs in it. And there's a definite undertone of Catholicism inside there, but it's not focused. Like it's mostly secular, right? So once I basically ended up being in that that system of of the Catholic school, I all of a sudden felt like I just wanted to start to go to church and to understand more about God. 
Now, I mentioned in the introduction this idea that you're delving into religion as early as age six. So you've said that you're in Catholic school. So how does that come about? Because we're in that time period of your life of what you're talking about, right? Yeah. So I'll never forget it. We were we were pulled into a class, a religious class. And we're actually sitting in the library. I remember sitting there as a little kid with my legs crossed and the teacher sitting on a chair and all the kids are sitting around the teacher. And the teacher started talking about the Israelites going through the desert. And I was just fascinated by the story of how the Israelites were going through the desert and all these things were happening to them, all the miracles that God was doing for them inside the desert. And when I was at the end of it, I had a question and I knew these were all from the Bible that we had been taught. And I asked the question teacher, I said, well, listen, you know, you say the Israelites. And I said, but who are these Israelites? Like, we're not Israelites, we're Catholics. So who are these Israelites, these ancient people we're talking about over here? And I'm sure it wasn't phrased exactly like that. You know, I was six years old and the teacher said, well, the Israelites are the Jewish people. And for some reason, she said that the Jewish people pray three times a day and they pray towards the East. That's all I knew. So I'll never forget, like, I was like, wow, that's so interesting. And I ran home after school that day, and I was so excited. And I was talking to my mother after school, and it was probably later afternoon, just before it got dark. And I said to mom, I said, mom, I said, which way is east? Mom said, well, why do you want to know? I said, well, I really want to pray towards east. And she said, my English name was Craig. Like, Craig, like, why do you want to pray towards east? I said, well, I want to change my religion. She's like, what do you want to do that for? I said, well, I want to become like a Jewish person. And she's like, well, you know, you could do what you want, but you can't do it now. Wait till you're 18 years old and make a decision then, and then you'll decide what you want to do then. So that was the end of the conversation. Right after the conversation, I ran out to a bedroom and I knew that the sun rose in the east but this is already late afternoon, so it's probably closer to north. But all I remember is I, I took a rosary and I had this feeling I wanted to put something like on my head, like almost like between my eyes, like sort of like to fill in a little bit. And I wrapped the rosary on my head and I just started praying towards wherever the sun was at that point because I didn't know where east was at six. I just started praying that way. And I just felt like I had to be something different and I couldn't be what I was. That is pretty deep for a six-year-old. I mean, the way you're describing it is something... I've interviewed enough people to hear somebody who would be 18, 25, telling me they're going through this feeling, the fact that you're having it at age six. As I'm thinking about this experience, I'm wondering what prayers exactly are you saying, given that you're only six, and what have you actually learned? And, and who in your mind are you praying to? I was always definitely praying to a solid one God. Definitely how we would say Hashem. Like, I'm always praying to one God. And without components, I think that was sort of a big challenge I had with my Catholic background was the idea of a, a trinity. And I was always pulled towards the quote-unquote, let's call it quote-unquote Old Testament, and and always loved the idea like like a Shemichad, right? Like, like there's like one God, and it's like one being. And so I always would pray towards one God. And around that age, when I was around six or maybe seven, I started to go to church on my own. And the way that the, the priest would have his, like, drushes, like Lahavdil, is he'd have sort of, like, two sermons, let's say, right? There's, like, a sermon in the first half of church, and there's, like, a sermon at the second half of church. And the first half was always talking about God and, you know, the quote-unquote Old Testament. And then when it came time for the second drasha, which was talking about Yashka and, like, the, the New Testament— 
then I just I had like no shaykhs. I was like, I, I don't feel like connectedness at all. I just wanted to hear like the old drushes. It's also striking me, you know, you described your family as like very warm as you were growing up. And when you approached your mom with this idea at the age of six, a lot of parents dealing with a kid that age would just be like, don't be silly. No. And the fact that she was allowing you to explore this and saying there'll come a point in time where you can make your own decisions when you get older, uh, it's really bringing to life this like warmth and empathy that your family, particularly your mom, must have had for what you were experiencing at such a young age. Uh, my mom is like the most supportive person and her biggest thing is to really make me happy, be happy. Like she just, as long as you're happy, I'm happy. That's the biggest thing. And, and the Bavar uh sister, her name is Robinson Goldberger in Bora Park. Before my chasana, my mother came in and Robinson Goldberger wanted to take her out for lunch. And she said, you know, I'm just amazed and like how supportive you are in your son. Like, like you're such a sort of support. My mother bought a shaitel for my chasana. And she wore a shaitel to my chasana. So she felt like it would be an appropriate thing for her to do that. And, and Robinson Goldberger was just so taken back. And she said, my mother said, I just wanted to be happy. As long as he's happy, I'm going to be happy. And then Robinson Goldberger started to cry in the middle of this lunch place. They're eating lunch out in a public place, and she started to cry. So we've had a strong relationship all the way through. So let's now continue the story. We were talking about this age six, but let's now go through kind of the middle school, high school years. You've talked about this feeling towards Judaism, but at the same time, you're in Catholic school. So what is that feeling like as you go through that period of your life as you're trying to understand Judaism versus how you're being raised? So... When I was going to church a lot, a few times I slept my mother with me. I said, come on, mother, let's go to church. Let's come with me. And like I knew all the songs and all the prayers and, and we're there. And she's like, how do you know all this stuff? I said, because I come here and, I, and I'm praying here. Like I know all this stuff that's going on. And actually I became an altar boy because I felt like I wanted to become like connected more. And I was always searching to deepen my connection. And I felt like becoming an altar boy would be like my thing. My job was to ring the bell. So when they held up the bread, the communion, I like ring the bell to make it sound like holy, you know, like ding, ding, ding. So how are you reconciling this idea that what you're learning when you go to different sermons, the first part that you're connecting to when it's talking more about, you know, the Jewish part of it, and then the second half you're feeling less connected, but at the same time you're going deeper and deeper with the way you describe becoming an altar boy. I would think these two things would come to a head at some point as you try to figure out what do you really believe and who are you going to be? And it did. It came to a head even at a young age when I was probably seven years old, eight years old. The teacher asked us one time in class, like, draw a picture of what you think heaven looks like. So everybody took out their pencils and their markers, stuff like that, and they started drawing clouds and rainbows and angels and all those kinds of things. And so I drew a picture of like a guy getting tortured. And so everybody handed in their pieces of paper. And so here's like, you know, Craig's paper, Craig Byers gets, and she's like, what's this? Like, this is disturbing. And so she calls me, she's like, can you explain this to me? I want to know what's going on here with this picture. And I said, sure. I don't believe that if you just believe in one person, like Yashka, if you just believe in Yashka, that all your sins are forgiven. That's not what my belief system is. And I'm sure I didn't say exactly like that, put in like a, a child's words, but this is how, what my thought process was. I said, yeah, I don't believe that that's what happens. I said, if you don't correct your mistakes with other people and you don't ask them forgiveness and then you go to God for forgiveness after that, this is what's going to happen to you. 
and she was debating whether she should call my my parents or not. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this guy. But it sort of made sense to her. So I think she just sort of left it. And, and that was it. So I, I definitely had a lot of challenges around the, the belief system of, of Catholicism as well. Definitely. The Trinity was a big challenge for me. I didn't believe in that. I believed in like a one solid God, not three components of God. That Yashka was actually part of God. Like I had a real challenge with that. Like, like he is God in human form. I, I just didn't see how that was that didn't make sense to me when I was a kid. Like I really rebuttaled against that in my mind, especially. I thought a lot about this when I was a kid. Now, this is usually the point in the interview where I'm asking about a bar mitzvah, which would not be your story, given where you are in your journey. So is there a confirmation or something happening around around this time frame? And how does that play out, given everything that you're feeling inside? Confirmation comes as 12 years old. It's time to confirm yourself, 12 or 13 around that time. And I started to doubt my religion. I started saying, you know, I'm not sure if I really want to confirm myself as a Catholic boy. And I started saying, you know, I go look into other different religions and check out what's, what's going on. And so I talked to my neighbor. He was a very religious Catholic. He was also not raised Catholic, um, but became Catholic. I think he's like also Protestant or something like that, became Catholic. And he was a very stark Catholic guy. And I told him, he said, you know what? He said, I'm giving a class. He said, you come to my class and it's a separate class. I think you might like it. So I went and then I started to learn more about Catholicism through him because I want to make sure I was making the right choice here. Everybody's just going through the motions, right? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, we're all going to do it. We're going to have a big party. We're going to get some money. It's going to be fun. Get a nice dress, a nice suit, and away we go. I was like, no, like I'm really thinking about this if I really want to do this or not. So I took these extra classes, and somehow my teacher got wind that I was taking these extra classes. And she asked me, would you mind teaching a class on what you learned? And so I said, I could do that. So I went up there, I started teaching a religious class about Catholicism. My grandfather heard I did that. And he called up the principal. And the principal then put me in for like some sort of like award, the most religious boy award in all of Mississauga, which is like a lot of kids. <laughs> and so somehow I won this religious award from the bishop, the archbishop of, of like Toronto came and presented me with this award for being the most religious boy. And so I felt a little pressured, maybe I should go through this now, this confirmation. So I went through with the confirmation and yeah, that was basically it. That is a tricky situation because you're inadvertently getting deeper and deeper into the very religion that you're questioning and wondering if this is right for you. And externally, it's looking perfect, I would think, to everyone you're teaching classes, you're winning awards. But they have no idea what's going on inside you, right? Right. I don't know much here I had at that point, to tell you the truth, Jeff. I don't I don't know. Like I think it was taken away, like you just gotta do it. I but I remember going through the confirmation and thinking like, okay, like did I just like lock myself into this forever? Like I sort of felt guilty. Like, did I just lock myself in? Like there's no out anymore because I just made this confirmation, because that's how it's presented. You know, you have to confirm yourself. You are making the choice now, confirm yourself as a Catholic, and this is the final choice. You're 12 or 13, this is it, and you're locked in. That's how I felt. I'm like, oh, man, did I lock myself? Did I make a mistake? I don't know, but yeah, I got my suit. You got your suit, you got your money and the confirmation, but now you have the later teen years to say, am I really bought into all this? So how does that play out as you you know, finish off through high school and get towards the college years? There's a couple of big events that happened in my life. So when I was 12 years old, my father passed away. That was a huge thing. My father was sick for many years. He was sick from when I was five. He had leukemia. He was sick for many years. My grandfather passed away before. 
And really from the age of 12 to 20, I went to like 18 funerals. Wow. And a lot of people passed away in my time. And truth be told, in, in my high school years, I don't know how much I really focused on God per se in a certain sense. So when I got to that age, you know, when I was around 20 years old, a good friend of mine that I went to school with, David uh, Belitsky, he had a, uh, not Jewish, David Belitsky, he had a, uh, a brother named Andrew. And Andrew, unfortunately, took his life. And he was like a younger version of me. You know, when I was younger, I, you'd probably classify me as like a partier, a guy that liked to enjoy life and be social and have a good time and do funny, silly things. And yeah, that's sort of who I was. I wasn't such an academic. I don't think I really read that much when I was a kid. Like if it wasn't for school, I didn't really, I just wanted to go play Nintendo, Super Mario Brothers, you know, and just go have fun with my friends, you know. And again, get high school, you start to learn how to party and have a good time. So this guy was also sort of following that track as well, but he was a good kid. Like inside, he was really, really a sweet kid. And, and unfortunately, you know, he had, a, had a, a mental illness at that point, and I didn't know about it, but he took his own life. When that happened, I, I felt broken. So I went right after, you know, he passed away, right back to the house. And I sat down with the family, and there was a note. I read the note they left, and it was horrible. It made me start thinking, like, wow, like, there's a lot of people in my, my, my life has passed away, a lot of friends and my father, my, my grandfather, and my other grandparents both passed away, and, and a lot of my friends' parents passed away. It's just a crazy time. And, and I feel like there's, like, two ways you can start thinking, just like, okay, whatever it is, I'm just going to keep on going in life and, and just move on and ignore it, or I'm going to start thinking about, like, why am I here for? And I got to start thinking seriously about that. So I started, I started thinking, like, why, why am I here? Like, what's my point in my life? And where do I have to go? Right at that time, I call him a bar buddy of mine. He said, we were probably having a couple of beers. He's like, hey, my girlfriend's mother is having a thing at her house. How to build a relationship with Yashka. You know, do you want to go? I thought, I've struggled with this my whole life. I have, I've never been able to build a relationship with Yashka my whole life. I said, yeah, I'll go. And I went. And it was a 12-week course. And we're sitting in her living room. And there was a minister. It wasn't through the Catholic Church. It was through the United Church of Canada, which I'd say probably is like a leftist view of Christianity. And they're very open and talking, and, and which is really nice. For me, it was really good. And we're going through these classes, and I don't remember exactly what the classes were about. They're all about Yashka, obviously. But at the end of the day, I started having these same things resurface when I was a little kid, when I was six years old, seven years old, of like, if the Bible, we're saying this Bible's ours, and how we call it ours if it's like the Jewish people's Bible. So I'd ask these questions openly. And I kept on going back to these things. And how can we say that God is three? It's really one. All these same questions, the same questions that rooted me as a little kid. And at one point, the minister said, I understand where you're going with this. I'm going to be honest with you. You can't become Jewish. You sound like you want to become Jewish. So you can't become Jewish. So the best you could be in their eyes is a righteous Gentile. That's the best you could do. And I thought to myself then, if that's what I could do, that's what going to be. Because I don't want to be here. I'm thinking about that advice that you were given. Do you think the person who gave it to you really thought that there was no option of conversion or didn't want to tell you, was like pulling a fast one on you? I'm, I'm just finding it almost hard to believe that someone would could say with a straight face, conversion is not something you can do. Or maybe they just thought it wouldn't be a good life for you because it's not how you were raised. Like, what, what do you think was behind that advice? 
I think that her exact words were, is that to be Jewish, you have to be born Jewish. You can't become Jewish. And I think that's what she really believed. So what do you do with that information you've been given now at this point? And how do you go forward? So I bought a book. I went to, it's called Chapters here in, in Canada, but basically Barnes and Nobles. I walked in and I was looking under the Jewish section, a religious section, and I was walking around and basically I saw a book and it's called The Idiot's Guide to Understanding Judaism by Rabbi Benjamin Blech from YU. And so I, I picked it up. I had no idea who Rabbi Blech was. I, had, I just thought, okay, I, I feel like an idiot around this. Let's, let's look into it. So I, so I grabbed the book, his orange book, and I never forget, like, I was reading on the bus. Was, wherever I went, I carried this book with me everywhere. And I was just so interested in it. And I read it cover to cover. I felt like this is exactly what I believed my whole life. Like, this lines up exactly with who I am. These beliefs are my beliefs, and I've known this from the, from the beginning. So that book, thank you, Rabbi Blech, for that book. It, it was amazing. Shout out to Rabbi Blech. But it was amazing. Like, it just changed who I am. And I remember when I was reading that book, it said that the Rambam says should take the middle path. And the book also described, as we stand now, the different movements within Judaism. So it talked about reform, conservative, and orthodox. And I put the two together. I said, well, the Rambams just take the middle path. You have reform, conserve, orthodox. Maybe I should be conservative. I think the Rambo would agree with that, probably. That's what I thought. The Rambo would agree I should be conservative. So I started to drive through the Jewish area and just looking for something. I had no idea what I was looking for. Just driving through. And I saw a bookstore here in Toronto. It's like a Judaica store called Israel's. So, so that's probably Jewish. So like I pulled over, got out, and walked into the bookstore. And I remember reading a couple of things like about mezuzahs and, you know, tefillin. I couldn't remember what tefillin was. I, I call it Teflon. So I walked in like, do you guys have anything like, it sounds like Teflon here, but it's not Teflon. You put on your <laughs> arms and your head. Like, do you have anything like that over here? And the lady is so nice. She's like, oh, yeah, sure, sir. She brings us called tefillin, and she shows it to me. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And I, I leave. That would be another concept. Like, let's say, for example, talus. And I'd come back and be like, oh, um, do you guys have like a, a talus over here? You know, talit that I could check out, you know? And she'd pull out like a talus and show me like, oh, that's so cool. And I'd leave again. I did this for weeks and weeks and weeks. And finally, she said, can I ask you a question, sir? I'm like, yeah, go ahead. She's like, are you Jewish? I said, no, actually I'm not. But um, I'm looking to convert. And I think I probably should learn how to read Hebrew. Because that's probably an important thing. Like, you know, so she pulls out the Canadian Jewish News and we go to the back page and the classifieds area. And I'm looking for a Hebrew course I could take. And there's this ad that says, are you looking to convert? Call this number. And it's to a shul here in Toronto called Beth Zedek. And, and I said, oh, Beth And I asked, is that like reform, conservative, orthodox? She's like, oh, no, that's conservative. I'm like, great. I got the number. I called the rabbi and I started to talk to the rabbi, Rabbi Tannenbaum. Wow. So how old are you at this point? And I also want to just bring in, what are you doing career-wise, professionally? Because the way you're telling the story, you're clearly like delving into religion, but we don't yet know what's going on for you in terms of earning money, starting a life career-wise at the same time. Yeah. So at that point, I was just finishing college. So it was my early 20s. And I was at that point president of my student union for my college. So I was running the student union for my college as a full-time position. So I ran that for a bit. 
So as I was reading this book, The Idiot's Guide to Understanding Judaism, I was going to Calgary for a conference for student leaders. And so I was flying over and sitting right next to me is like a from guy. He's wearing a kippah and sits and we just start talking and we're going over for over Shabbos. And I was about three quarters way through the Idiot's Guide to Understanding Judaism and I started asking him questions. Can you tell me about the God you believe in? What's that Jewish God all about? Can you tell me more about that? And he always, his answer was, ask a rabbi. That's the, only, that's the only thing he told me. I said, are you keeping Shabbos? Like this Shabbos? Like, can I come over? He's like, he's like, ask a rabbi. Like his answer was always, <laughs> ask a rabbi. And I always wish I could meet with him now because like it was such a funny time because you never pegged me as the kind of guy that become Jewish. Like I was the kind of guy that had earrings and like cool, trying to be cool, a guy hanging around the bar and stuff like that. Like I did not present myself as a potential candidate for the Jewish people at all. And so picking up your story, you now go to this conservative shul with the intention of getting to know the rabbi there and going through a conservative conversion. That's like the game plan at this point. Yeah. And so I go over and I sit down with Rabbi Tannenbaum and I obviously, I know he's going to push me away. So I'm prepared for this. I'm like, I'm like, oh, he's going to push me three times. It's going to happen. And he did. He's like, go home and think about it. And I came back three times. He's like, okay, fine. Finally, you know, we'll, we'll let you into the program here. And it's sort of like a feeder program. So all the conservative schools in Toronto feed into one program where you have to learn a little bit of Hebrew and some halacha, all these kinds of things, basically, and how to live a Jewish life. And and we all sort of were sitting around together in that in that space. And and I and, and I finished the program. I did all the tests and is three tests is a year and a half program. Uh, I finished it basically the whole thing and and I was ready to go to the mikvah at that point. It's really amazing. I'm thinking about my own journey to becoming religious. There's no tests for me. Like when you're born Jewish, you can just kind of say, you know what, I think I want to jump a level up to Orthodox, and you're like, welcome right in. And so sometimes I think people who go through what you went through end up getting like a better education than I did. I'm getting mine through my kids' yeshiva experience because it wasn't required of me to advance to Orthodox Judaism, but you had a totally different experience. Yeah, I did. And and Jeff, there's always tests. Maybe not written like I did it, but there's always tests. (laughs) Everybody has to go through hurdles, right? So at the end of that, you know, I started to become Shomer Shabbos, like to the best I could. And I felt like sort of like I was carving people in the shul to become more religious and I actually did a trip with a whole bunch of people to El Salvador, a Jewish organization there to help build houses for a few weeks. And then after I had a, I think it was like an earthquake, and we built houses, a Jewish organization, we came back and I gave like a drusha in like the shul. It was like really cool. And like, I was like, you're amazing. I like, it felt like a million bucks, right? And the rabbi sat me down one day. So I think that I see which way you're going with this. And I think that you'd be better off with an Orthodox conversion, not a conservative one. He said, because you're going to want to marry an Orthodox girl, I could tell already, and they're not going to accept our conversion. And I think that you should do an Orthodox conversion. And so I was like, okay, like I have to do this. Like there's something I have to do. So like I said, I was, I was president by student union and this is in a, a city called Brampton, which is past Mississauga. And so I was there in Brampton. There's like like no Jewish people there. I, I'd be shocked if there's like a minion of people. Like I'd be shocked. And all of a sudden I saw a young lady walk in. She's wearing like a long skirt, like a mug and David necklace or something like that. And she is Sneas. And I said, what's your name? She said, my name's Sarah. I'm like, okay. And, and I was, at that point I was wearing like a big like Karlabach sort of like 
keep uh you know i was, I was definitely Karl Bacher, like as a hardcore Karl Bacher at that point in my mm-hmm. life it's a separate story but i was really like into Karl Bach. And, and she said are you jewish i said i'm not but i'm thinking about coming jewish and we started you know schmeezing a little bit her and i and at the end she said you know you should really come to the shul i think you'd really like it it's called the forest hill jew center and there's a great rabbi and rabbits in there. I'm sure you really love them and their family. It's rabbi and rabbits and Carfunkel. And I said, okay, let's go. And I went for a Shabbos. The next Shabbos, I went there. It changed my whole perspective. When I was in the conservative school, I was like the firm person. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't Jewish, but I was like the firm person. And it was lonely because I remember I used to go home and make Shabbos by myself. I started to make these rules, right? Like, like okay, you can't drive on Shabbos, but you can take a subway. Because like that's less... Michal Shabbos, you know, so I take a subway back, you know, and I invite my mom over, my my grandmother, and we sort of like dance. I, I had no idea what I was doing, saying Kiddush in English and Shalom Aleichem in English, like, you know, welcome the angels in English. Anyways, it's a great time. And and I went to Shul for Chakras. I went to go Daven, and a guy comes over to me and he says, Shalom Aleichem, what's your name? I said, my name's Craig. He says, oh, he says, Shalom Aleichem, my name's David. He says, where are you, for, where are you going for, for, for Shabbos? Like, you having a, a meal anywhere? I said, I was going to go home. He said, well, come to my place. It's great. My wife and I'll have you over. So I went over and I had the pseudo by them. And I was like, wow, like, like I feel like a part of something over here. Like, I feel like, like I've just walked into a whole new world and I felt just so connected and everybody's so nice. And I was like, wow. He's like, oh, like after the he's like, do you want to just like take a schluff? Like we have a couch in the basement, just take a schluff and you'll, you can enjoy it. I said, that's amazing. And then you can stay for Mincha. You don't, you know, I was like, wow, I have to come back from Mincha again. Like I, to, I could stay. And, 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 it was, and it was just an amazing experience, you know. And that friend of mine is a great guy. And him and I, we really, really have like a great connection still to, to this day. And that was the biggest thing that happened to me. Something just so warm to me and being loving and nice. And and the shul was nice and everybody's great there. And the rabbi is a great friend still to this day, like a really, really good friend. And, and he, his wife and everybody there changed my life completely. I finally found like I belong somewhere. I really belong here. This is where I have to be. And as you're going through this feeling, did you end up having a conversation with your mom where you're saying, remember that thing I said when I was six and you told me when I grew up, maybe I could explore this. Well, guess what? <laughs> you know, it's 20 years later, whatever it is. And I, and I'm really, am exploring this and I'm doing this. Did you have that conversation? And what was she saying at that point? So my mom was with me for the whole journey. So when I was in the conservative movement, there was another rabbi there. His name was Rabbi Glazer, not Yomtev Glazer, a different Glazer. And so Rabbi Glazer would sing Karl Bach Neginim. And I really got into them. I, I love them. And I said, who made this Neginim? He said, oh, Shlomo Kalabach. I said, tell me more about him. And he told me it's like a, a shul in New York that used to run on the Upper West Side called the Karlbach Shul. And I said to my mom, I said, my mom is like very supportive through this whole journey, by the way. And I said, mom, let's go to New York. And let's go to the Karlbach Shul. So we went for Shavuos. So we went all the way from Toronto to New York and, you know, if you're Jewish, that's, that sounds like normal. It's like, wow, it's like a regular passage. But if you're not Jewish, that's like totally not normal. It's like a big trip. It's like, wow, Toronto, New York is like big. So we went to for Shavuos, and it was absolutely amazing. It was the first time I saw people leave a shul and not put their kippahs in their pocket after and didn't drive. I was like, this is it. And so when I saw that happen, I was like, wow, it was amazing. It's next level for me. And I sort of got inklings like I could do orthodoxy probably. 
And so my mom, throughout the whole journey, the conservative journey, like she came with me to shul sometimes. She used to come for kiddish, especially. I think she has a Jewish shaman, I'm just saying. But anyway, she, but, but the Forest Hill Jew Center, like Rabbi Carfunkel, like she'd come over for, for Shabbositas and she'd just enjoy everything. And she's a part of it. She's with me the whole time. And at this point, you now follow through with the Orthodox conversion. How much time passes and then you go to the base din? Like, how does it play out and then, like, take us into the post-conversion years of your life? I basically did a year and a half conversion. I didn't finish it with the conserve uh, Mahalach, but basically I, I, I finished the testing. I was ready to go to the mikvah, and then I switched tracks. And Rabbi Karfunkel took me under his wing and introduced me to the Toronto base din here. When I started working with them, it's like I had to restart again. Credits did not transfer. <laughs> and so I started, I started over again. I think it was about another two years. The Bechina for the Orthodox was like obviously a different level. It was like you had to know a lot of halachas. And um, I actually wrote it in Eretz Yisrael. I went to Eretz Yisrael with Rabbi Karfuk who brought me to Eretz Yisrael one time with a bunch of guys. So it's just a big chesed. He just, it's just come. And so I went. And he brought the Bechina with him. And we did the Bechina. I was there. And I did it in Orsameach, the Bechina, in Yushalayim. And so I did the Bechina over there. I gave it to Rabbi Karfunkel. I have to put an envelope. And he gave it to Beistin and, and Baruch Hashem. I, I, did, I did all right. And then it's time to go to the mikveh. Something must have happened post-conversion that as you kind of go into that part of your life, you make some changes. Is this where the Orthodox woman comes into your life when you had been given that prediction that you were someone who was going to want to marry Orthodox? So now you're ready because you've gone to the mikveh and you've had your full conversion to Orthodoxy. Where, where is your life at this point? Rabbi Karfunkel told me right off the bat, you're not staying here. You're going to yeshiva. You got to go learn. You got to get some years under your belt. He said, you're young enough. He said, this is, these are years you can get going. Talked to my mom. And mom said, okay, let's send him out. She felt like it's time to get him out. And the option was New York probably. And I had to find a place in New York. That's why I felt comfortable. I didn't want to leave my mom. It's just my mom and me for many, many years together. And so I felt like I want to stay close to her. So I could travel back and forth. So it wasn't really the option at that point. At one point in my life, through Karlbach, which I met Shlomo Katz, the singer, he told me that that there's a shul that I should really go check out. It's called Eish Kodesh. And he said, the rub there you're going to love. Moshe Weinberger, he says, you'll love him. So I went, went for Shabbos, and I did love him. And it was gavaldic. It was so good. I knew I wanted to be close to him. And I wanted to go for Shabbosim to him sometimes. I wanted to go hear his Shmizim in the morning, gives a good Shmiz and gives a good Taira, gives like good Taira, gives like good classes. And I just wanted to be close to him. And, and, and so I found a yeshiva, Shayashiv, that was close to him. So I spent uh, three years in, in Shayashiv learning full time. And I got exposed to the Rosh Hashiva over there, Raftul Yeager, who's a tremendous Talmud Chacham, Mamish, unbelievable. And it was my first time to exposure of being close to somebody. Like I had exposure to people that were big, but at the same time, I never was that close to them. And so every every week went to a sheer quality and I, I got to experience what godless potato really meant. And I felt like, wow, like this is amazing. I started to spend time with Smidrish. I still go to Moshe Weinberger in the mornings. I was going for some Shabbosim. I was going to him and listening to him, his Shemizim. And I just, I, I, I fell in love and I felt like I was growing. At one point, after for a few years, my Rav in Toronto, he told me that I could start dating. His name was uh, Rafir. His name's Rafir. He's Rosh Kohl of Bubov here in Toronto. And he said, okay, I think you can start dating now. And so I said, okay, fine. So I dated 
nine people, and somebody came with Chusen in my in my yeshiva. Even Chusen, he's it's a big simcha over there. I was gonna date another girl. Her name was Yael. She had rejected me by like three times. Like she's like she didn't want to date me, but through Hashgacha, I could I could tell it's a story, amazing story. But through Hashgacha, basically, she eventually said yes. And we had a shatran in square. Her name was Esti Bayer. She was a shatran. And she kept on pushing me as an option to my wife. And through Hashem Mamish, that she finally said yes. And I remember this chusen that, that became a chusen in Chayash. He said, let me drive you to the LIRR and you'll go down to the city, but you'll take the LIRR. But I remember I said, he's driving me. He's like, I'm like, this guy just became a chusen. I said, I feel like this is going to be it. I feel like like El Silberg is gonna be my is gonna be my my wife. Like this is gonna be my my. She said no. I had a resume that my shidduch resume was like so good. It's like you're dating Avram Avinu Mamish. Like there's no way you should say no to this. And she said no three times. So I was like, okay, you know it has to happen. So Mamish went in and I said this is gonna be. And I remember I had my chovsalavos in my hand. I was just learning it and I was, I was waiting in front of a Starbucks. We made up. We made in front of Starbucks. And I started walking across the street. I'm like, this is her. I know this is her. I was pretty confident that I was going to marry her right off the bat. And we met, and she felt like she was doing a shotless, like, if I, you know, I'll find, I'll go out with Avram Byers, fine. But really, you know, I'm just doing a shotless. But, you know, Bukh Hashem, Hashem helped me work my magic. And what was her background compared to yours? She was raised in Providence, Rhode Island. She went to the Hebrew school there her whole life. You know, she was raised Shomer Shabbos and Shomer Kashas and more modern, I'd say, um, than where I was holding at that point. But beautiful family. And from sister and from brother-in-law and really from parents, my, my sugar learns daf yummy every day. And my sugar, she's like, listens to Tori anytime all day and not much highly good people. And so where do you choose as a couple to settle down and what's happening now career-wise? We haven't discussed that in a little while. I'm, I'm assuming you changed from what you were doing in, the, in your early 20s. Well, at that point, we're living in New York, living in Boar Park. I'm in Bubbov. Can I just interject with a quick Bubbov story, this whole thing? Sure. So one of the big challenges of becoming Jewish is trying to get a name. What do I name myself? I'm going to re-identify who I am completely. And part of that is like a name. And I knew I was going to go by my name. It's not like I was going to have like my English name, like, oh, when I got my Aaliyah, it's going to be something different. Like, no, I'm going to go by this name. So I really wanted to have Avram because like it's obvious, right? Like, but Robert Carfogel sort of said to me like, I think you shouldn't do Avraham ben Avraham. Like, it's a little much. So, so he said, you should find another name. And I said, okay, so how do I do that? He said, you should go talk to the Rosh Shiva from Babovin here in Toronto. He has a lot of siyata shemaya. He's a big Talmud Chukham. And mom, you're going you're gonna to really enjoy it. And, and go talk to him. But when you do talk to him for a name, tell him you're not looking for him to give you a name. Tell him you're just looking for some eitzas, general eitzas of what to do. I said, okay, fine. Happens to be that I'd already thought of a second name, Yosef. The reason why is, this is a midrash I, I heard that really Yosef was like the all-encompassing Jew, like in all of the shvatim was inside him. So I went over to the Rosh Kailo in Babov, and I think at that point I'm wearing like jeans and a yellow shirt, and I'm coming, I look, I look like really bright. And over there it's like, you know, hats and black and white and and Rafiri, he has this big white beard, and, and, and he really gets like Himbledick, like gets like his eyes roll around a lot, you know, like very like holding knot of this world a lot of times. And I, and I go sit down, and I said, oh, 
Rabbi, my name is Craig Byers, and I want to convert to Judaism. And they said that I'm ready for the mikvah. I have to get a name. I really want Avram, Ben Avram, but Rabbi Carvel said I should choose a second name, so it's not so obvious. He's okay. So he looks at me, he said, Avraham, he's okay. He said, maybe. He said, how about Avram Akiva? I'm like, no, it's not feeling it. And he said, I'm like, I'm like no, no. I said, I'm just looking for general ideas. He says, hold on a second. And he closes his eyes. He starts swaying, shuckling back and forth, back and forth. And his eyeballs like rolling back to his head. And I also see he's white. I'm like, I'm like, what's going on over here? I just have no idea. So I also close my eyes. I start shuckling back and forth with him as well. Like, you know, like I'm trying to connect with him, you know. And I said, whatever you're going to say, I'm going to take. And right when I thought that, he says, Yosef. He says, Avrum Yosef. That's what you should be. I said, Gavaldik. I probably said, great. And I just, I said, thank you. And I left. And that was it. And I chose the name Avri Yosef. And so I went to Koilo. I learned in Shrasha for a bit. I learned in Babov Koilo for a bit. And, and obviously had a connection to, to Rafir. I got to Babov because I, I basically, I walked into Babov for a Shabbaton. They had a Shabbaton, or Sameach, the Shabbaton here in Toronto in Babov. And I remember one time I snuck into the Ezus Nashim. And the Ezus Nashim back then was on top of the base midrash. And there's a hole sort of like in the floor. And you look in and I saw this kid. He's laying the Gemara. And it's such a beautiful nigga. And I think, that's so nice. And then after that, I went downstairs. And this other little kid who might have been seven years old comes over to me. He had a, he had a pishka. He's shuckling pishka. And he had some lottery tickets he's trying to sell for the for the Haider. And he said, Sir, would you want to buy one of these from me? And he was such a Timustika person, little kid. I said, I would love to. His name was Moishi. I said, I'd love to buy one of those tickets from you. And I gave him a couple of bucks. And, I, and, and he's just so excited to sell it. And I said, I want my kids to be like this kid. Such a nice kid. You know, and he's a friend of his. And I thought, such idol kites, such beautiful midas. I could just see it. Like, you could just get a feeling right away off the bat, and I felt it. And at that point, I said, you know what? I think I want to become Bubov. And I knew nothing about, I knew nothing about Bubov. I had no idea what's going on. But I knew one thing for sure. I wasn't ready for it. Like, like we're talking Madrigas, Madrigas, Madrigas mm-hmm. above anything I was even imagining I could be. Like, and, and I found out that, that later, that little boy, Moishi, was the Rish Koilo's son. So his name is Moishi Fier, and I still talk to him today. He's a special, special in your mind. So that's the Bubba story. So basically, not to fast forward, because now I'm in Bora Park, and I'm living, I'm going to Bubba in Bora Park, and I'm going to Tisham, I'm doing all the things over there, I'm in Kailo, and basically living in Bora Park. And I'm out of towner, like Toronto's out of town compared to New York. It really is. Like we're like we're like a lot slower over here. I think slower, slow down over here in Toronto. It's a big city, but it's definitely a lot slower. And you know, I'm married and we're living in Borough Park. And I'm walking down the street to go learn in Kailo in the morning. And I'm walking down the street, and some guy like just honks his horn. And it's like there's a thousand honks a day, like in my block, right? Just honks his horn. And for some reason jolted me, like I'm like, Ugh! Like, I, I jolted. My heart skipped to be like, Ugh. I thought, you know what? I don't think I belong here in Borough Park anymore. I got to go. <laughs> I love the people, but I just can't handle the business of New York. And I came home to my wife. I said, I said, honey, I said, I think we got to go somewhere. Maybe go to Toronto. She said, okay, let's do it. 
So we moved to Toronto and she's such a good person to just say, yeah, let's do it. Because really we're leaving everything, right? Leaving her family, leaving, leaving people that she knew. She was going to a place she knew nobody. And at that point I had some experience in the financial industry from a previous job I had when I was younger. And I worked in the financial field for a few years. And then I started my own business and I decided that I liked the financial industry, but I didn't like the product sell part of it. And so I decided that I want to coach people in an area of money and specifically around being smart with money and changing your financial behaviors. I think I was like the second or third full-time person doing this in Canada as a financial coach before financial coaching was even a thing. And I started picking up clients and started talking to people. I wrote a book called Your Magic Number. You could check it out. It's all about how to budget and save money in, in easy, simple ways. Check out yourmagicnumber.com. That's my plug. I'm thinking now... With everything you said career-wise, I want to close by going back to the Jewish journey part of this. And something that really came through loud and clear was how much exploration you were doing from such a young age. And if you think about that six-year-old who was already asking questions and how far you've taken this whole thing, how do you look back on all the things you were contemplating during those early years into your teen years and, and where you ended up? And could you have, ever have imagined that that would be the journey and where you would be today? If I had to go back to my six-year-old self... And sort of say like, hey, here's a picture of you. I would say, no way. Like, that's not going to be me. Even though my shkafas are starting to develop that age. My mother one time, Chabad here in Toronto had a show. And my mom one time was watching this Chabad show. And there's like a picture of a bunch of people around a Shabbos tish, a Shabbos table. And the, and the father, like the Tati was making Kiddush. He's shuckling away, right, making Kiddush. And mom, my mom said, she, that's going to be you. I said, no way. That's not going to be me. I'm not going to be like that. I'm not, I'm not going to look like that. I'm not going to have a beard. I'm going to be clean shaved. I'm not going to have a hat. Okay. Mom, mom's always right. But I think looking back at it, when I look at the steps that Hashem brought me through, all the way through, step by step by step, it makes sense. But if I had to put the ends together, it wouldn't make any sense. Okay, I'm going to share one story with you, and I was debating about this, but I think this is an important thing to say. It was in Shariashev. They take the, the Bachram to the Kal Rabbi in Williamsburg. He's not well, he should be gazint. And he used to see us, each one, individually. We went, we, everyone went in with the Kvittel, saw the Rebbe, and he saw us all. And I came and see him, and I wrote my name off, Yasef, you know, whatever. And I told him I was, I was a Gare. At that point, I was a Gare for six months, and he looked at me, he had this look on his face of, he was complex. He couldn't, he's like, I don't understand. He told me, he looked at me, he said, you have an old neshama. How is it possible you're a gear? I was like, what's going on over here? I just sort of said, okay, thank you. And I, and I left. Like, I was like, what did I do with that? So last Hanukkah, the Rav from Bavavi was coming from Eretz Yisrael, Bavavi Mishkanavta. He's a big Mekubal. He's a big Tamakuch, massive person. And he was, for the first time in nine years, making a trip to Chitzlaretz. And so he's going to Lakewood. So I said, you know, I said, my wife, I said, I really want to go see him. She said, go. So I went. And I just sort of posed this question. I'm like, here's sort of like what happened in my life. Here's me as my childhood. And, and this is what the call of Rebbe told me. And I don't know what he said. And then he, he stopped. He said, I know exactly what the call of Rebbe is talking about. He said, you've always had Jewish neshama. He says three things you told me in your story that I knew when you told me that, that you're already your Jewish whole life. 
And the Kalvari couldn't understand why after just six months, your Neshama looks so old to him, that you've been here for a while already. After that, I went to go grab some breakfast, and, and another guy who was waiting behind me to see the Rav was also coming to get a bagel also, I guess. And I, I just couldn't contain it. Like, I just so, like, I have to tell somebody about this. And this guy also, I guess, knew the Rav. So I said, I said you, know, you won't believe what the Rav told me. And I told him. And he said, he said, Mazel tov. Now you're not a gear. Now you're a balchuva. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you go. That's that's the story. Well, it tells me that clearly people were seeing in you what you were seeing in yourself of where your journey was supposed to go. So it makes perfect sense where it ended up, even if you couldn't see it all along the way. And now maybe you can connect the dots now that you're on the other side of the journey. Yeah, exactly. And, and Mr. Shem should continue. <laughs> Amen. So Avram, I just want to say I love your story. I love how introspective you were throughout the whole thing and how upfront and honest you were about what you were thinking at different points in your life. So let me just say thank you so much for appearing on Saturday to Shabbos. Thanks, Jeff, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit taklismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at TachlisMedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.